Beekeeping is a billion-dollar business with a bee. Welcome to the Small Scale Life Podcast. Welcome to the Small Scale Life Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Dommers. This is Season 2, Episode 19 of the Small Scale Life Podcast, and I have a great one for you today. Many people are looking for ways to ditch the commutes, stress, grind, cube farm life, and endless meetings of the corporate world. We would rather develop intentional, self-sufficient, and sustainable lives. Even though we want to be more self-sufficient, the reality is that we need to have money to pay the bills and squirrel money away for a rainy day. Starting your own small business is one way to escaping the corporate world. I recently had Michael Jordan from a bee-friendly company on Small Scale Life. We discussed various business opportunities with beekeeping. As I learned in this conversation, beekeeping is a billion-dollar business if done right. Okay, maybe not a billion dollar, but we discussed a lot of ideas to use resources and skills to build a small business and live a sustainable, self-sufficient life. While we're focused on beekeeping, the principles discussed here could be applied to any number of small business ideas. Keep an open mind as you listen. So who is Michael Jordan? Michael is a husband, father, teacher, bee whisperer, and entrepreneur. He's an MVP of beekeeping and award-winning mead maker. To find out more about Michael Jordan and how he got into mead and beekeeping, check out the following Small Scale Life episodes. Michael Jordan's Beekeeping Journey, Small Scale Life Season 2, Episode 16. Michael Jordan's Beekeeping Questions and Answers, Small Scale Life Season 2, Episode 18. I have links in the show notes for you for those two podcasts. I have one more podcast with Michael Jordan left for you. And in that podcast, we're going to focus on his favorite thing in the world, mead. More on that soon. In case you're new to Small Scale Life, we're dedicated to intentional living through learning, doing, and growing. We're focused on gardening, healthy living, and having adventures along the way. Before we begin this episode, let's hear from our friends of the Small Scale Life podcast. Hey everybody, just wanted to remind you about the Small Scale Life Facebook group. This group will give you a backstage pass and access to other members of the Small Scale Life community. We'll discuss gardening, healthy lifestyle, frugal living, and having adventures along the way. This is also your chance to see what's coming up on Small Scale Life. See some content not shared on the blog and ask questions of future guests. Join Small Scale Life's Facebook group today. All right, let's begin our conversation about building that billion dollar business with Michael Jordan. Really weigh your options in beekeeping. I mean, uh, I got into beekeeping in 1999 after recovering from a huge car accident, and I was learning to read, write, walk, talk again. Wow. I just I just retired uh, from the Army Corps of Engineers where I spent I got my 10 years in. I got out. I was getting ready to do some other things. I got in a car accident. So as I was rehabilitating my life, I read a book about mead making from my grandfather, had to make me made me during my rehabilitation and won some awards. And the next thing you know, we went from three beehives to 2,200. We were in California pollinating almonds. That's we a lot of bees. That's crazy. That's a lot of bees. Yeah, then we went from 2,000 beehives down to 500 yeah. and donated a whole bunch to Katrina victims in Louisiana so they could rebuild their bee yards. I mean, after seeing poisoned honey 
uh, bad beekeeping habits and pesticide use, the trouble people have with bad bees, hot bees, Africanized bees. Yeah. Seeing kids overseas that are dipping newspaper in mud puddles and stuff. You know, getting a tax write-off. Yeah, I got a huge tax write-off for donating the bees. Of course I did. But I didn't have to work them as much. and I could donate my time more to other things. And You know, right now, I try to keep under 500 bees. We have 173. When I get about 250, I start selling them. And I move sure. them around. And I donate them to Boys and Girl Scouts and stuff like that. Because uh, my thing now is... I went from lear- uh, learning about mead making to getting a couple packages of bees, and uh, I lost everything. Uh, and I did it three times. I got I was reading so much information from everywhere. I was trying micro bees with the wrong frames and the wrong hives, and I was using the wrong system. And then I got a mentor, and I learned this whole system of beekeeping. So then I got into where I was a massive pollinator where we took 2,000 hives to California to pollinate almond fields, regrouped all my money back, broke even, got out of there by sending the beehives to Louisiana on Katrina, regrouped, took my money, and I went on a tour to learn beekeeping in India, Turkey, Ireland. That's amazing. Uh, too. Yeah, and, just, and got back to the United States and made this program where – if you manage bees at different levels to do, like if I want wax production or, you know, we want to sell pollen or we want to sell honey or we do want to be a pollen. And if you, if you learn these managerial skills, you can make money and you can train other people to do this to make money. That beekeeping is a billion dollar business with a bee. Mm-hmm. Uh, a beehive rents for $150 a month to pollinate a field. Wow. So if I have a thousand beehives, you know that's a hundred thousand dollars. If I pollinate the almond fields with a thousand beehives for three months, that's three hundred thousand dollars. You know, after that, all I have to do is make sure I got them. I can use half that money to keep the bees alive for next year, Then the other half pays my expenses and for me to live. Do I live big? No, man. I got seventy-five thousand dollars, but I'm off uh, October, November, December, and January. Yeah. So yeah. five months out of the year, I don't work at all because it's winter and the bees don't do shit. Right, right, right. right, right but right. January, I send them right out to the almond field. I dump them out there. I got a thousand beehives making a hundred thousand dollars a month. I got February, March, and April. I bring them back. I split them down. I sell some packages. I use some of the packages to make sure my beehives make it next year. And I get a little bit of honey, which is extra money. I get a little pollen. It's a little extra money. I get some propolis. That's a little extra money. I sell some packages of bees. It's a little extra money. I sell, I do some classes at my local 4-H building or annex buildings, and I make a little extra money. So I get a little more money on the top. Is it a, a, a thing about making money for me? No, because I'm still working at a school, an alternative high school, teaching troubled youth different aspects of business from raising chickens to limousine companies to Right. I'm, I'm trying to get them out in the workforce. Sure. If I wanted to sure. go back to pollinate and be in California and not home, I'd regroup and build my beehives to be a pollinator. I don't want to do that. I want to live here in Wyoming. I want to go and teach beekeeping to people that want to learn on a, on a, a little superior level that I'm just not going to get you a backyard beekeeper. I mean, to come to one of my programs, and, I mean, after you talk to Greg Burns and stuff, that yep. you know, that's a, a, 
I'm on a huge advanced level that I'm, I'm skipping some things to try to make you queen more, to split more, so you can have more populations of bees in some of my more programs, and they're more dedicated for kids. Mm. A lot of times that, you know, I was, I was down in Tyler, Texas. There's a, a boy's home down there. Yeah, you got me there. You let me stay. Did I make a lot of money? No, actually, that was a loss for me. But I got to teach them uh, at a boy's home. I got to teach them how to build beehives right? Uh, out of wood for wood carpenter skill. And they didn't even have to touch bees. Taught them how to make them so they're those, uh, a superior beehive that they could go work for Dannet or even work for other companies that want to make beehives using rabbit joints or the, the way I want to do them with the metal bands on the sides for no rot, no decay, heavy barrier for bouncing around for construction. I mean, so teaching these skills to these kids, yeah, I didn't really lose anything, but I didn't make any money either. But I got to go see some things that I wanted to see. I got to teach some people a great skill. Um, I think it's a, I think those are some of the things that, that you have to think about in your beekeeping. Sure. So that, that's where my company came from. Was I went from, I wanted to be a, a mead maker. So I went to learn the best way to be a beekeeper so I could find the best floral and how to work the bees so I could produce the best honeys to locate the best honeys, to find out what the best florals are for honeys to make fine meads. And right. you know, I make, I make some exotic fine meads that some of them are $250 a gallon just to make. Wow. All right. You know, so you're making, you know, most people are like, ah, wow, dude, I make a gallon of meat at my house for 17 bucks. <laughs> I'm kind of there. Yeah, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you're not throwing gold flakes in your meat. No. You're not using cannabis oils and THC's oils or you're not shipping in Monoluca honey from New Zealand. And you're not doing some, you know, I've done some, I've working with beekeepers that make some finer honeys to, you know, Himalayan red honey that's hallucinogenic. And oh my gosh. You know, I'm with some, some finer stuff to get out about a product that, you know, the Kings had. Yeah. Kings mead, man. I'm, I'm not just throwing some honey down baby and some yeast. I'm getting something out there that when you pass it around, people are like, man, no wonder that that king of that area, man, his mead maker's the finest. Hmm. Because that's what I learned about beekeeping is when I went back to Ireland is that the kings owned the beekeepers. The kings told which lands got pollinated. The beekeeper would go out, pollinate this guy's land based on the taxes he paid. Wow. wow. That's life or death in some cases, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because if you couldn't pay taxes, your crops went You got crops, but you didn't get them like Terrence did. His, his orchard was huge this right. year. Well, the bees were in there. Yeah. Right? So the honey that was produced went to the baker for sweet breads that paid mm-hmm. better taxes. Sure. Right? The churches got the wax product based on the taxes that they paid the king. Right? So beekeeping, the guy that ran the bees, he had a pretty good life because the king made lots of money off of him. Sure enough. And it was all said and done. He had this product that he made mead, the king's mead. And it was based on the fruits and the honeys of his land, of the king's land. And when the king parlayed with other kings, he would bring his mead, mm. his land, right? And you'd sit down and you'd drink, and ooh, your land's spicy. Yes, <laughs> we have peppers, and it's grand here, and the honey's dark. And, you know, and another king would be talking about the fruits and how sweet it was in his land. Yeah. And, you know, and the only time you drank mead was at a parlay. Mm-hmm. You know, friendship with sharing each other's wealth of each other's land. Or my family got married, 
right? It was the honeymoon mead, right? Sure, we sure. Gave, so we'd have lots of kids and to have a good life and the moon of the mead, right? Yeah, totally. uh, Another one was before war. Hmm. You drank meat before you went to work because it might be the last great drink you have before your greatest death. And then wow. you drank meat when you came home to heal the wounds from the adventure that you had. Sure. That's the only time you really drank meat. And, and then, I mean, that's from where I looked at the adventure of meat. I mean, if you look back through the era of probably from Turkey and down to Egypt, might hear of a different story of the Egyptian tombs and processing the meat. Or if you're from China and Asia, their meads are different. And their stories of making meads and meaderies are different. Right? It's about your – that's part of – my beekeeping skills that I tell you about your history is, you know, you should find the history of all the way back to your ancestors of beekeeping, all the way down to where the beekeeping is in your area and how the bees got there all the way back to, you know, I trace my beekeeping from my mentor, the States. They're all the way back from the 1800s. They got their bees from Virginia that uh, uh, the Huffs brought over from Poland sure. in the United States. Sure. So this is like 1600. Wow. Right, that's how far back I traced the bees from Wyoming, the two beekeeping families that are the oldest beekeepers here. One is the Bryant's brothers. They have about 6,000 to 10,000 beehives in Wyoming. Wow. And they're one of the first beekeepers here. Their great-grandfather took one beehive from Virginia, brought it here, and now they have 10,000 beehives. That's amazing. Uh, Jack State, my mentor, their same family story, went to the Sand Springs area. He ended up becoming the entomologist for the University of Wyoming. Wow. And then beekeeping on a level for pesticide use and how, how to uh, profit for beekeeping for the United States Department of Agriculture. Hmm. So they got their bees from West Virginia. I found out that the bees came from West Virginia from a family called Huff. 1600 from Poland, King Henry VIII's beekeepers. And then I just kind of followed like my beekeeping and where I went. Huh. Went to Turkey to find out because bees originated in the Mediterranean Belt in Turkey in the Egyptian area and then brought up into Europe, stolen by the Vikings at the same time to make me. <laughs> That's my people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Polish too, there too. So. Uh, so that's my company, right? Is we're, we're, we teach beekeeping on a superior level where we teach kids to be the big, great, all the way to commercial beekeeping for kids. Mm-hmm to backyard beekeeping for somebody that just wants to have some bees for some wax, some honey. I like my garden pollinate. So we tell you the location where the bees would go, how to set them up. You know, don't set the beehives ever in your garden. No, that wouldn't be. The garden will never get pollinated, right? So people are like, well, that's where I want my bees. The garden's there. And you're like, well, the bees are never going to see it when they come out and orientate flight. They missed everything in your garden and you didn't get any pollination and you wasted your time. Well, yeah, that would, that would be bad. (laughs) <laughs> so you know, you have, we teach all different levels of beekeeping, and then uh, I work with I make honey co-ops for small backyard beekeepers, so all their honey can go to one co-op. Oh, that's a and smart idea. That's a real smart so idea. Then, yeah. So you know, if you're let's say you know you're a backyard beekeeper and you produce, you know, one beehive produces twenty to thirty pounds. Sure. You got five beehives. Well, that's you know, thirty pounds and times five. You know, you look at, you know, you know, five, fifteen hundred pounds of honey. That's like, that's a lot of honey to be packed around. Yeah. So you give out some friends, you make some different gifts, different products, make your own meat. But now I'm sitting on honey that's starting to crystallize. Yes. Well, let's just all put it together. It'll be localized raw honey. So it'll have all the pollens from around the local area all mixed together. Oh, yeah. So when we sell this nice product, the money can refund all of us as a co-op. 
So no one's really making any money because the co-op truly makes no money. Right. So everybody yeah. just gets all of it. So if I put in 10 pounds, whatever we sold it all for, your half is 10 pounds out of the 400 pounds. This is your share. Huh. Thanks for contributing to the co-op. And then sometimes I buy it out of the co-op to make my needs sure, or to fulfill some of the needs I have. I have a granola company. So most of my honey goes to a granola company that I sell to. You so have, that's Oh, okay. You don't own the granola company. You sell to them. Yeah. So okay. I, I looked outside the barrier. Yeah. People are like, well, I'm going to get honey. I'm going to go to the farmer's market. Yeah. So, you know, I, I taught Ben McKibben for Neoteric Farms, you know, think way out of the box. He says, sure. man, I do really good at farmer's market. And I said, okay, this is, I don't sell at farmer's market. I give 4,000 pounds of honey to a granola company and I get a flat fee. It doesn't matter how much I make after that. And I give them a good raw product and I get good money for it. Then after that, it's made honey, it's farmer's market honey, sure. it's friends honey, it's gifts, it's whatever I want to do with it. But I make this demand. And then I don't have to go to the farmer's market pushing it. I sell it to the one person. Huh. He goes, well, how do I do that? So now he sells his honey to a brewery. Oh, yeah. And they make a honey ale from Neoteric Farm collaboration. Mm-hmm. And now he only has to sell honey two to three times a year so they can make ale. And it just supplements his money and gets rid of most of his honey. Right. Right. So now he's got honey for all this stuff he does, but he doesn't have to be really farmer's market. If you try it, our honey, we're local. We're right here. He's like. Yeah, I've got honey, dude. It's 10 bucks a pound, right? And they're going to go, well, I'm getting honey down the way at eight. He goes, go buy it down there, dude. I've got a premium product, and I know it because the brewery down the way is buying it. And if you don't want to pay my price, you can go have a beer at the other price. I have a good product here. And then, you know, he's selling other vegetables and stuff. That's why he went from farmer's markets to restaurants. Yeah, yeah. Selling his greens and stuff and salad greens to restaurants. That's that's the out of the box things that I kind of teach the kids at the alternative school. It's it's yeah, you're a good basketball player, but I'm gonna tell you, it's like American Idol. Only one of you wins, man. Yeah, that's true. None of you here are gonna be a pro basketball player, but I tell you what, you really like basketball. You have all the information, and sometimes the guys that get picked up working in a coliseum become sportscasters, and they become people that are really big because they know the sport so much. Because I saw him every day at the Denver Broncos Stadium watching football. And what did he do? He was the guy that ran the concession stand on aisle number seven and knew all the stats because he had the wide-open free football field tickets. (laughs) All he did was sell hot dogs. He said, so think outside the way box and what you like and see how it makes the most money with the less effort. Yes, that is the key right there. I mean, we work so hard sometimes to make a couple bucks, and we're not thinking – bigger like that that's amazing maybe i should go to school go have you be my teacher for a while (laughs) or my boys my boys for sure man they're just one just got out of the army and then the other one's just going to go to college and it's like "Mm, maybe you know let's let's think about this a little bit there's other ways to go you know there's other ways to go at life not just college not a college graduate not everybody's military not everybody's a ditch digger but we need lots of them right like I said, I went to California and I was living, you know, if you listen to Drew's show about me, I talk about living on the beach and yep. eating ravioli out of a can. And then I got this gig of selling shower heads to hotel rooms and went from sand fleas biting my unmentionables to <laughs> uh, making, you know, a hundred, hundred plus thousand dollars in six months selling shower heads to get me into school 
investing in myself, invest in yourself, invest in yourself. Don't invest in anyone else. Yeah. Right. Don't be giving money away thinking that someone's going to make you money. Nope. You need to put that money in you because you're the only one that's going to make that money. That's going to make that life changing event. That's going to invent that new light bulb. That's going to change the world. Because if you're invested in somebody else, they'll change the world and you'll be the guy standing behind going, I wasted my money. Yeah, totally. 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 That, that story about the book, um, from Drew's podcast with you, I mean, that was really the, that was like the tipping point for you, it seemed, you know, uh, it was one tipping point anyway, where you found this book and had it translated. Can you tell tell us about that a little bit? Yeah. So like I said, I'm rehabilitating and, uh, I'm just learning to read, write again. And my grandfather died at the same time as I'm doing this. So as my mom's really helping rehabilitate me, she's going through the attics and getting stuff of his to get rid of. And I'm going through it. Found this old ledger and it was written on potato skin. It's kind of weird it's looking. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, it had Gaelic ruins on it and some Northlandic ruins on it. And it had some uh, pictures on it and it was written in Gaelic and stuff. So, I took it to the University of Wyoming and I had a friend go through it and he started doing some translations and stuff through it and went through it. It was a, it was like almost like a kid's story. And it talked about the Vikings, how they came across the land looking to enslave uh, the, the land because if they could control the land, they could control the food. Right. How you controlled the food was by pollination and they brought bees in hmm. and the Vikings were coming in to steal the bees because they made a thing called mead and then oh, it yeah. talked about the sugars from the earth. It talked, uh, it, it talked about all these different things of where the sun, how it makes the nectar and how it makes this King's mead and how the Vikings came in to try to steal these hives to make this King's mead. And on our lands of Ireland, the nectar was the best from periwinkle and clover. Huh. So it made, you know, so it told this adventure of making King's mead and I made I made what it said, and you know I set I set water out for three months, wow. uncovered with cheesecloth on it. I used a pollen from for yeast, and I made this mead, and it took almost two years to make it. Wow! And as I'm making this mead, and it's going, you know, I'm looking really into meats. Then I found some quick batch kits, and I found some books, and I really got into mead making. And then I made some really good meads, and. Entered a couple competitions and then I pulled out my King's Mead. After three years, I had some beehives that they weren't really working out at the time. But I was, you know, I had these products that were coming out and I won a, a, a France event on my King's Mead for our natural fermentation. Wow, really? Yeah, I guess there's only like four of these natural fermentations for mead in the world. And I have one of them out of this storybook. That my grandfather had. That's amazing. So, you know, we were, you know, my family were beekeepers. And it was just kind of like the story of how we kept bees. And at the end, it says the only thing that was left on our island was this delicious drink and the bodies of the dead Vikings that were here. Wow. Because we, we kicked them out and we took the land. And then, of course, they cast out the snakes and the druids. Left. <laughs> uh, so I, I got it. Yeah, I have this. I had this, this great recipe for me. Won some awards with it. And was working bees, and they just weren't working out. The bees weren't working out. I wasn't getting honey flows. I was uh, trying to find honey to make my meads. Uh, and then uh, I found my mentor, yeah. Jack States. 
And then my whole thing changed around and I learned beekeeping. That's great. And I went from having uh, 10 beehives in my yard to getting a permit for a 40 acre crop to set out 2,285 beehives. And I bought out two bee companies out of California, shipped the bees to Wyoming and started managing them. And I, for two years, we did almond contracting. And the third year after almond contracting, that's about 2006, 2007. Yep. Yep. That's when uh, Katrina went through. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sold out of all those beehives, got out of that, regained all our money from buying the companies out, made a good profit. And me and my dad, I went on a journey of learning beekeeping from around the world, from all the different types of bees to the different types of beehives, to the different types of flowers. And then we came back and wrote this program. And then this program has been picked up by all kinds of people, 4-H groups, uh, United Nations, sure. Sally Struthers Orphanages. Really? Really? And it just teaches, it, it just teaches you the program of, of the simple scale of beekeeping and how to build many apiaries as the populations grow to build more products, how to make these products scale on a system of business where this year we do honey. We're growing as a honey company. After five years of honey, we're well known. And now we introduce a new product of beeswax. Mm. So now we expand, right? So now we do this. It shows growth. We show that how you can take your companies and to grow or you fail. Yep. Yeah. Right. So as, as you're teaching these kids, these programs, right, that you're you wanted to show them growth, multitude of products, how to mm-hmm. get those products, how to make the equipment for them, look for the equipment, how to expand those ideas. I mean, we teach everything just in the honey aspect. Sure. Not only sure. to produce honey, how to produce Ross round honeycomb, square honeycomb for sale, hmm. how to do honeycomb in the jar how to do fruit with honeycomb in the jar, how to extract the honey naturally so it's got chunks of wax in it, how to spin honey. Hmm. We also tell you how to make creamed honeys, how to add additives to the creamed honeys to make cinnamon apple creamed honey or pecan creamed honey, how to turn around and take those products and make powdered honey. Right. So, I mean, so all those things are honey. That's just one thing that you can sell. And it's not only are those products just with the honey, would you like to make a honey nut barbecue sauce? So now yes. you'll need honey, right? So, I mean, so we're going to teach you how to look for people that are looking for honey. Honey nut Cheerios, ketchup people, barbecue people, soap, shampoo companies, uh, people that make body scrubs, right? So those are just the honey products out of the nine products that we teach wow. and beekeeping, right? So each one of those has many products. So you can just, we do honey. We do 13 different things with honey. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. So, you know, do you guys do bee removal? No, that's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother thing that this guy teaches a whole nother business aspect to an aspect where you can be really big living in Texas and Louisiana where it's hot. You have bee swarms constantly year round. Sure. And it even could be more dramatic that we specialize in Africanized bee removal. Oh yeah. Or we're a swarm catching people and we teach local clubs and organizations, how to group crop on catching swarms. So everybody gets bees and bees don't infiltrate and make problems in other people's homes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we have the mobile bee trap that's on our YouTube channel where we show, if you guys put these up, you can control swarming out of apiaries 
for a big, like your gentleman that was on, we have 400 highs. I don't have, you know, we don't talk about swarm catching, you know, if they swarm when we get them, it's cool. Other than that. But if you work with a guy that specializes in that, sure. He could put swarm craps around their facility. They wouldn't lose as many bees mm. and they could work asymbiotically. They're selling some of those swarms, repopulating some of his losses or the guy using them to build his new apiary. That's smart. So, I mean, there's, there's so many different realms and all different ones. It's propolis. You can sell the propolis to a facility in Texas, and they do testicular and breast cancer research with it. That's amazing. There's people that do bee sting therapy. You go to bee first acupuncture stuff. Yeah, oh. right. I mean, so I mean, there's. I'm getting ready to get my APS, AP therapy license here in two years. <laughs> the lady Raina Carlson, that's the number one bee therapist in the United States, is kind of working with me. Wow. I mean, like I said, I, I have bee lust. I have all the beehives. I have all the smokers. I have all the different kinds of bees. I, I try to do all the stuff so you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I spent a, a lot great of money. Slogan. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of money to learn this trade yeah. and to learn it on a level that if you want to just have a beehive in your backyard, that's cool. Or if you want it on a level where, yeah, I want to have 2,000 beehives, Michael, what do we got to do? Well, we got to build pallets. So they hold these beehives. We need oh, to yeah. find a co-op. Mm-hmm. You just can't get a contract. Right. I mean, the contracts are all built up. Some people may never have bees and own a contract. Huh. Right. I got this almond grove that I got to get a million beehives to. Right. I don't. I don't have any bees. Right. But I have right. this contract. I know. And people. they're paying me two hundred. Yeah, they're paying me two hundred dollars a hive to pollinate the almonds. So then I call the big bee companies. I said, "So who are you selling? You know, do you got bees that want to come in?" Huh. Well, I've only got like 500. Well, then I start calling and then they all co-op and these semi-trucks come out with five different bee companies pollinating together to come out to fill my contract wow. because I got to fill this contract to pollinate these almonds. And that's how, I mean, that's how that all works. I that mean, just, it's, uh, it's a huge business. And that's pollination contracts. That just almonds. blows my mind, really. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You go from almonds to oranges to apples yep. to cucumbers yep. to melons, back to the clover fields, to the berries. Pack them, winterize them, send them back out to the almonds, the oranges, to the apples, to the cucumbers, to the berries. Don't forget the cranberries, cranberries up in Wisconsin, in Wisconsin and Wisconsin Michigan. And Michigan. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, and there's some guys that that's that's all they do is berries. Sure, right, and that's also specialized berry honey, right? Your blackberry honeys, right? They're only coming from blackberry nectar, uh-huh. which gives a whole different taste to the honey than orange blossom honey or Montaluca honey or Nativio honey. I mean, so. Those are all different flavored honeys that I work with even brokers that sell 45 to 125 different honeys from all around the world that you can try. Holy smokes. Yeah. So, so you had a picture on your uh, Facebook page of a, of a red honey that had fruit or something. What was that? Well, uh, that's a, that came from that photo was sent to me from a friend that's uh, out of Panama. Oh, okay. Okay. Right, and what he has is he has a, a it's a, a a Toblo melon, I think is what it's called. Uh, I'll look it up real quick because he said it to me. He goes, "Because I feed my bees watermelon." Oh, okay. And it sometimes gives them some red. Tip. I make some Mendocino cherries, the mm-hmm. the cherries you know you put in your drinks. Sure. I have a friend that works for a company that makes those, so he'll send me a five gallon bucket full of them. And then when I get watermelons on sale, I cut the tops off the watermelon and then use a paint mixer, mash up the whole inside. Sure. And then pour some water, pour some honey, and pour some Montesino cherry juice in there. 
and it changes the color of the honey. Oh, yeah. We do it because as, bees, as the bees eat it, you can see the male drones turn red. Oh, cool. You can kind of see their digestive tract when you're teaching kids. But he sent, uh, this is, uh, it's called Vermello, the mellow fruit, V-E-R-M-E-L-H-O. It's a fruit of Panama. And what they do is they leave it out and kind of mash it up. The bees really like to eat it. And the bees take in the sweet juices from the fruit back as a nectar to store as the honey. Sure. So the honey is a red strawberry looking honey that tastes kind of like strawberries. Wow. That's really cool. It's a natural way. It's just something natural the bees are picking up. I mean, uh, another, another one is, you know, uh, there was a guy in Pennsylvania by the, uh, Hershey park, Pennsylvania, where they make the M&Ms. Yep. Yep. So the bees got into the M&M factory, got the greens and blues and that greens and blues honeys. (laughs) But you know, you can't sell those because those are a non-natural viable product, right? That have many tons of additives in it. Oh yeah. It's probably not good for the bees, but you know, bees downtown are going to hit the local McDonald's trash cans for all the soda pop the kids throw away. Oh yeah. If you go to your local zoos and amusement parks, you can see, be careful. Make sure all our trash cans are closed so we do not have bee problems. Right. Because when you're dumping 40 pounds of cotton candy and uh, snow cones in those trash cans, the bees are like, sugar, right? Yeah. They go right to it. So, you know, those those make different things. But there's natural ways that you can do uh, coloring to honey, huh. right? So you can uh, – here. That there's a natural ways. Like I'm doing watermelons and stuff. This gentleman's using the vermella fruit. Uh, you can take and uh, take honey – and then blend in different colors to it. So you can add apple juice to your honey. Cool. Now remember any type of juice that you add to it and water starts fermentation. Sure. So you do it in small amounts to feed back to the bees, right? I'm big on making teas for bee feeds, hmm. adding like chamomile, adding peppermint, uh, uh, echinacea, just some stuff to help with the digestive stuff with the bees. Cause the bees get into a whole bunch of crap. They get dysentery and nosema. Oh, so, you know, I, I try some more natural methods. I mean, you could get bee pro and stuff like that from Danit or Manley mm-hmm. and feed the bees to help them. But, you know, you can, you can get some natural teas and make some teas, mixing some honey and doing a more natural method. Uh, I'm big on using uh, thyme sure. in some of my bee mix because it's a regenerative brain and cognitive memory thing. You know, your bees are flying. They're hitting the leaves on the trees. The dust is hitting them. They're knocking their little heads. They're inside petals, bushing around, you know, banging on their heads a little bit. But, you know, like I said, after my brain injury and stuff and having to re- regrow, you know, some of those things we try to use some more natural methods of regrow. So uh, Gunther Hawk of Biodynamic Farms, it's uh, Spike Nard Farms. They have a recipe called BT Spike Nard Farms. And it talks about all that stuff, peppermint for the tummy, huh. time for their brain, uh, ginkgo biloba and stuff for uh, facial recognition and bee memorative using uh, ginseng and echinacea for speed and endurance and tummy evaluation. So, I mean, even some of your feeds, I think that when I got in, when I, I'm so deep into beekeeping, I breed my own bees. I make some of my own specialized feed. I work on a, on a level that's a little bit different. Like, so I'm the guy that put the cell phones in the beehive yeah. to see if yeah. they messed with them. And that's when the Discovery Channel found me back in, oh, it was, I think it was 2007, 2008, when they came by and they said, hey, you know, where did you put these cell phones and beehives? Why are you doing that? I said, well, the bees are dying. The population's going to shit. They're sure. hearing all kinds of stuff. 
And I think it's because of only two things. I think it's bad beekeeping. And I think it's the use of pesticides that's killing everything. I said, we need to adjust and Right, bats are dying. Yeah, yeah. The lady was like, "What does that have to do with things?" I said, "Well, bats eat bugs. If you're killing the bugs with mass amounts of pesticides, it kills the bats. The bats is the largest, most natural response to bugs. True. You know why you have a lot of bugs? Is you guys are killing off the bats. Yeah, true. And so you know, if they're killing off the bats, that means you're having to make more pesticides. Eventually, you're going to kill off my bees. And that was one of the big things. You know, back in two thousand eight, nine, we did a study. With the cell phones, we put the bees under big uh, electrical towers. We just kind of found out that beekeepers were 80 and 90 years old and those boxes were heavy. Sure. sure. Their kids were going to college and becoming accountants and moving to New York and not keeping bees. True. The education was based on A.E. Root and Langstra. And they were, they were, one was a priest and the other one was a scientist. One upsized the bees, making the bees so now they have mites and trachea mites because they're so big. Yep. It's kind of like me. I'm upsized. I don't do any better. That's for <laughs> damn sure. Right? So, I mean, you know, and then we've got people that are doing it on a backyard level. And when you do it on a backyard level for non-certain product, my area is different than your area, and your area is different than this guy. So the books, you know, guys written one in Europe. We don't have any of the plants they do, and he's working with Buckfest Abbey bees from Buckfest Abbey, where the monks used to own and work the bees naturally up in sure. the mountains of, you know, Buckfest. We don't have any of that shit here in Wyoming. That ain't going to work for me here. Not in Minnesota either. (laughs) The one guy's all natural and stuff. Then you find out he's top bar beekeeping and I have none of that equipment. I read his whole book. So, I mean, it became to a thing where I found out that you should find out all the aspects when people ask questions and you should get really in deep detail and you should reach out to where this stuff's being found and find out about it because – I, I, like I said, I went on a journey. Yeah, you and did. I met some great beekeepers from Turkey and India. Uh, I never really got into Asia, but I did get into Australia, and I met one of the largest beekeepers that sells packaged bees and even brings millions of beehives to California to help pollinate the bee fields and the almonds. Wow. So, I mean, I've got to meet some really extraordinary beekeepers on this journey. And then when people ask questions, I think it's my obligation to find out that uh, – why why do my drones have white eyes? Well, I have to look into that, right? Is it a disease? Is it a natural phenomenon? Is it albinoism? You know, I don't I don't know. So I'm gonna find out. I'm gonna call the UC Davis entomology. I'm gonna call the University of Montana's beekeeping college. I'm gonna call uh, uh, Michael Bush and see what he knows about any parasites or anything in white drones, right? And then then I'm going to get back to you. I'm not going to leave you hang. I'm going to let sure. you know. Found out something that's an oddity. Send me some pictures. These other guys I'm talking to want to see it. Sounds <laughs> cool. Well, it's, right? it's a way to share knowledge. About, yeah. yeah. Some people ask, well, what's the best behind for me? I don't know. I'm not keeping them. Yeah. <laughs> You're keeping them. I don't know. I don't know which one. Did you did you talk to somebody about War A, Top Bar, Langstroth, Eco Box? I mean, have you started looking? I said, have you joined an organization? I, I don't know. I'm not keeping your bees. Sure. I mean, you tell me what you want to learn, and I'll tell you what. I'll write you a program. I, I'm not cheap. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not cheap, but I'm going to come in, and I mean, I work with Danielle Freeman, Freeman Family Farms. Those guys have had bees for a long time. Sure. And lost them and regrew them and lost them. And now I've got them to where they're on the thing, well, why are we buying bees when we should be learning to repopulate them? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. 
let's go from worrying about being pollinators and honey producers to the guy that has the best bees for the Rocky Mountain location. So when people say, we need bees, you go, man, I got bees that yep. have been living here in the winters and stuff in my location now for the last 10 years. Right? They're $200 a pop. I don't produce honey. I don't go pollination runs, but we produce around a thousand packages of bees a year, local area. You should get on our list That'd be for cool. Rocky Mountain hygienic bees. That's right. Smart. So his whole thing's changing. Now he's got bees that it's 30 degrees out and they're outside working. What? Right? That, yeah, we're breeding bees. I mean, he's got video of it hopping out. Look, they're hopping out. It's 30 degrees out. They're bringing in. Look, here's one. Bring. They're at the water, right? He's got an open water that I showed him. Instead of you know, instead of going to places, you gotta drink. You know, bees need water. They gotta poop. They gotta eat. You know, they gotta have entertainment, right? <laughs> you know, drones are fat males that do nothing but engorge themselves and breed to death. Huh? I mean, they're just like me. <laughs> yeah, right. Just like us. <laughs> <laughs> they don't I mean, have bees. You know, there's 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 two types of biology. There's hive biology. And then there's bee biology. Bee biology is the anatomy of the bee. Hive biology is the biology of interaction of everything that goes in the hive, from the communication of the chirping queen to the cleaning to the guarding to the larva feeding to the wiggle dance that we're showing where nectar is. I mean, there's yeah. there's where are we going to build the comb at? Why is this comb bird comb and why is this comb flat comb? How come this comb's two inches thick and this is, has no comb in it? How come the comb's hovering over my board and not attached to my foundation? The bees are like making this cloud hovering comb. And I can't get it out of my hive. And, I mean, there, there's so much that goes with it that, you know, you're not going to read a book and you're not going to go to a, a bee club meeting and take care of bees and, and get on the right track in a matter of minutes. Most people, and when I say most, it's over 50%. Lose their bees the first time. Yep, yep. It's over 50%. You're going to lose your bees. So everything I'm telling you, uh, the investment of $500 for a beehive, you're going to lose that $500 investment the first time. The second time, it's not going to be near as much. It's basically going to be buying the package of bees. Right. It's going to be, if you're going to, I'm going to tell you about buying package bees right now. You always buy a package with an extra queen. And it doesn't matter what kind of package you buy. You should buy package B and you should find the queens that you want that are already bred. Because the bees are going to die in 30 days out of that package no matter what. The queens are what's the most important. Sure. And you should always buy two queens just in case one dies. Uh, or if you're smart like me and you went ahead and split that package into two nooks and went from one package to two for the price of one. Oh, that's right. So those, I'm just going to give you some advice. It's not, it's, I got Italian bees. Who cares? Those Italian bees are going to die in 30 days, and the queen might be an old queen that I pulled out of hive. Well, it's a layer because I just requeened mine. Sure. So I pulled out the one that was laying in mine and put it in these bees for you if you want it. Huh. That's some package bee stuff. Some people are getting queens, breeding them, and then when they get them, they put the cages in the boxes, and they're doing, you know, but most of the time, the guys are making queens. They requeen their hive, take out the old queens, put them in the cages, and put them in the, the hives. Huh. And then they just dump nurse bees in there. And then when you get it, you get a, a queen that's already laying and a whole bunch of nurse bees to try to make comb for her to start working in. Nooks are always better than packages. Packages are micro bees. Nooks are more bigger bees. Um, so, I mean, package is a whole different realm. But if you're going to buy package bees, get at least one package with two queens. 
That way, if at least the two queens are making it, you can split that little colony and at least make two colonies out of it. That's but if you have a queen that dies, at least you can still go because 50% or more lose their bees their first year. Mm-hmm. So a beehive costs you about 200 bucks. A package bee costs you about 150 bucks. We're at 350. I'm going to go ahead and throw another $200 in there on a bee suit, yep. a smoker, yep. a hive tool, a lifting frame tool, a hive stand. I mean, I'm going to get some extra equipment. So I went from $350 just for the hive and the bees to now I'm at $500, $600 just for one beehive. Sure. So now I'm going to get another beehive. We already know it's going to be $350 for that hive. So now, you know, we went from $600 to $900. We've got two beehives. We're $1,200 and we've got three beehives. Right. And we still haven't went to a mentor. We haven't got a book. We haven't been to an educational course. So I've got three beehives. Usually I have about $2,200 to $2,700 invested in three beehives. Wow. And that's usually with enough uh, supers on them to breed bees and to make at least 30 pounds of honey from each hive. So five, five five hives at 30 pounds, I'm looking about 150 pounds of honey. A five-gallon bucket, 60 pounds of honey. So I'm looking at about two five-gallon pails and maybe a gallon to a gallon and a half pail wow. of honey production. And that's off my investment. So sure. one beehive investment, 600 bucks, the whole thing ready to go. And if I make... 30 pounds of honey at $10 a pound, that's $300. So I can possibly repay that $600 investment within a year, Hmm. right? And I usually make that off the second year because I try to make my bees grow. Right. So I don't, so next year I can produce honey because if I steal the honey from them right away, I might have to make more of an investment to pay for feed. Right. So I can feed those bees in times of Darth. Yeah. Yep. Right. Darth is something that we call as a beekeeper of times of no nectar flow. Oh, okay. That's right. That might be times of the year, times of the day. Yeah. Yep. Seasonal. Might have Darth one whole year because we might have a flood. I don't, you know, I might have to feed my bees the whole year because everything was wiped out. I don't know. Hmm. So, you know, those are, those are, that's the investment. So I try to get three beehives for two grand. And I try to get each one to produce 30 pounds in, in two years and then 30 pounds after that. Because if the bees are there, I don't have to make an investment after that. Sure. So if I have each beehive producing roughly 300 pounds or $300 in honey, that's three, six, nine, that's a grand. So I make half the money back my second year. I make the full money back my third year. And in my fourth year, I'm going into what we call the profit margin. Mm-hmm. Where now I made a grand mm-hmm. on something that I'm just managing. It's just my time now. Right. So the fifth year, I make my grand, so I'm $2,000 ahead, and I'm managing it. My sixth year, I go ahead and I sell everything I have, get a big win, and I say everything was sold for a loss, collecting my taxes all back for six years of income because the business was closed. And I make a big profit, right? <laughs> I built this honey company and I sold the honey company. And we all know that the company makes at least $1,000 a year on these three beehives that you can have in your backyard. And then I do the whole system all over again. Wow. Right. So I make my money all the way back, get it to a point where it's maxed out, requeen the beehive, and sell that whole system for five grand. Huh. Three beehives, $5,000, all ready to go. They're going to be producing you 
a thousand pound thousand dollars worth of honey every year. That's In five awesome. years, you're going to recoup all your money. Your six years will be your profit margin according to your tax books, and you'll be good. <laughs> right? I mean, that shows that way you can, you know, because even on small scale of three beehives, I don't think people understand that, you know, in Texas, those guys are getting agricultural write-offs. Yeah, yeah. You know, stuff for land use because of agricultural business. For I mean, sure. so this is a billion-dollar business on bees even on a small scale entity. Hmm. <laughs> I never thought about, I never it, thought like about it like that. I, I'm, I, learning I'm learning new. something new. <laughs> well, yeah, just, well, yeah, I make $1,000 with honey. But, you know, I also sell a package bee. So yep. if I have three beehives... Each one of those makes a package bee every year because that's how bees reproduce. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a good beekeeper, they're going to want to swarm or make enough to uh, populate a new hive. Sure. So I sell that hive. So I sell those nukes for 150 bucks, right, or 200 dollars. Yeah, yeah. So I can make 600 dollars in the beginning of the year just selling those bees. That's 600 bucks off the top, (laughs) and still make my thousand dollars on my honey sale. And still probably could sell some pollen. Sure. Right? I can put a pollen collector on there, sell some pollen on the side. Wow. Right? Uh, you know, there, it just depends on, on what level and what you want to take it on. Yeah. You know, but basic beekeepers looking at about two grand for three beehives. Be prepared to replace those over a two-year time period. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to be working them every nine to 11 days. Get on a good system. Find out, you know, weigh your beehives. Weigh them? Uh, weigh them. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, one of the techniques I've learned is that you get your beehive all ready to go, and you're going to put your bees in, weigh it. Okay. It weighs around 27 to 40 pounds. That's an average single deep box. Okay. Regular. Right? That's a regular box. But you should get the general weight. Now, remember when you're getting a package of bees, they're telling you, oh, you're getting three pounds of bees. So when I dump those bees in, that 35 pounds is going to be 38 pounds, according to what this guy's telling me. If there are three pounds of bees in there, sure, I should at least grow some poundage. Right. Well, now as they build wax, it adds weight. As a store nectar, it adds weight. As she bursts bees, the weight grows. Oh, yeah. So if I see oh, yeah. population growth and I see stuff grow, every time I check the bees, I weigh it, I should get higher amounts. Sure. sure. What if I go back after the fourth check and all of a sudden I went from a a beehive that was weighing 60 pounds and now it's weighing 52. Uh-oh, you had some diet. Uh-oh. Something's happening. Well, I might, something happened. They might have swarmed. Mm-hmm. So now I lost my bees, right? So now I got to do some swarm management. I marked that in my book around this time of the year, the bee swarm. So next year around this time, I do swarm management. Oh, uh, okay. I weigh the bees and I figured out a system by weighing the bees now. Or why are the bees uh, losing weight? It's because they're eating all their storage. Why? Darth, we have no nectar flow. I should have probably been feeding the bees. That way they would have kept the honey for the rest of the year. Huh. Right? So these are, you know, you weigh your beehives and that'll help you see growth, sure. decline and stuff. And it helps you control your beehives a little bit more. That is really cool. Yeah. I, you know, those are just some of the systems that I've learned. It's like, these are things that you, you teach a kid. And when we teach Langstroth beekeeping, so... <laughs> he's like, or a newbie. I'm a newbie. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm the newbie. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I think that beekeeping should be taught on a different level. Sure, I have it on perma ethos, and it, it taught you know it's broken in a whole bunch of different segments. You're gonna see a bunch of stuff. But when I teach kids, we use we don't use deep brood boxes. Mm-hmm. We use medium brood boxes. Okay, so they're not as heavy for the kids to lift uh, and to move. 
Sure. It also promotes swarming faster so the kids can make population growth. I see. Uh, we've developed a system that has three medium boxes, a queen excluder, and three honey boxes. So this populates a swarm of bees every year that can be sold. Cool. It produces around 45 pounds of honey, and it takes very little feed to manage the bees. Hmm. The boxes are easier for the kids to move. They're easy for inspection, and they're easier to make splits because the split boxes are smaller, so we can do multiple splits from a hive. Instead of getting a maximum of three splits, we can get a maximum of maybe even six to seven wow. based on smaller technology hmm. and micromanagement of the bees by using smaller brood boxes. Well, that's pretty cool. This is, so this is yeah. a system that you guys have developed for the, the kid-friendly system that you're working on right now. Correct. This yeah. is the system for kid friendly. It's, it's made so they can collect pollen, collect honey, cool. make populations and splits easier. It's also made so that way you can winterize the bees in smaller space at the end sure. of the year. Sure. It's also easier for bee biology because as the packages or the, the hives get full, we're able to actually remove some of the bees and actually do some educational stuff as taking out a microscope taking the bees and putting them in an alcohol wash, using the microscope not only to check for mites on the bees, but dissecting the bees and seeing if they have tracheal mites, what ah, their stomachs ah. look like, right? Because the popular, you know, that's so much easier to work in these boxes because, you, you know, if, if the box is weighed out of control, we just separate the box and make more bees. Sure, sure. And then we just get rid of them. Uh-huh. And then the kids don't have so much to work with. With minimal population and lots of brooding, we can actually experiment with the hive a little bit more because as the bees populate, they have to be removed out of the hive because there's not very much room now. Right, right. So we're able to experiment with the bees a little bit more and let the kids see uh, more queen cells, drones, worker bees, dissect some drones, dissect some worker bees. We're going to do some alcohol washes, some uh, sugar baths. Sure. We're able to try some different stuff like using rhubarb leaf for folic acid. And olic acid. Really? Right? Natural treatments because it's easier to get in there. I don't have to worry about lifting big frames out. They're small. They're short. We're easy to clean. We can get in and out of there better. And it's it, it, that way the kids get a little bit of entomology. Sure. They'll get sure. some botany. Mm-hmm. They're able to see the uh, exoskeleton, the use of Dominicus earth uh, compared on ants to bees. I mean, there's a lot of programs that we use when we teach kids. But I think the program is really good for adults. And our program's even better for an adult that uh, belongs to a club or has had bees for the last three years. Yeah. Because uh, the program that we come right out with, it's like uh, bees are bees for me. So are bees for you? Well, I don't know. Well, do you know your laws? No. Right? I you, should actually, you should actually look and see what your state says. Yeah. Right? You should, or, or, you know, and, and our program is not my book. It's your book. I teach you how to write your beekeeping book. Oh, that's cool. So that's what the program is, is you're writing your own beekeeping book. I'm not. I'm showing you all the, if you want to learn queening for your beekeeping book, let's look at seven different queening methods. Let's teach them to you. Let's find the one that works best for you. And let's put that in your book because that's the one that you're going to be using. Nice. Not me. Right. Right. So those are, that's how the book works is that. We sit down and we say, this is the federal guideline in the United States for beekeeping. What is it in the UK? You should find out because you sure. live in the UK. Sure. What is it in Russia? You should find out because you live in Russia. Right. So you should find out your country's beekeeping 
down to the state you live in, yep. to the county you live in, to the city you live in, it's to the it. HOA, to the zoning. And that's part of the first part of your book. Yeah, You know the whole law. Now I know the law of beekeeping all the way down to where I'm at. That makes a lot of sense. The second, the second thing is now can I take a bee sting? How do I figure that out? Well, I should probably go talk to an allergist. I have a family doctor. You could probably tell me over history, kind of like, well, what do you think the reaction would be? Hmm. If I go out and get stung, is it something I should rush right here and come back to? Or can I go get stung? You know, maybe you could go get stung. You know, I don't want to ever recommend it, but I don't think your allergies would be. Or you're going to go, man, we should take an allergy test. Yeah, you, know how you are. You got a snotty nose every year. You get bumped. <laughs> you got bruises. Right. You're a walking disaster. We should do an allergy test. They you know me you so know well. Anything. Yeah, because if, you, if your law says you can't have it, it's a risk of having it because mm-hmm. then your law is interfering. And if you get stung and it kills you, why in the hell would you have them? Right. I mean, you know, oh, but, you know, I know people that have bees and they get really, who cares? Let that, you know, there's mason bees. They don't sting. Sure. There's bumblebees. They only get stung unless you dig around in their hive. They're there. And they're cute. Yeah. They're really nice. They, you know, they're fat like me. <laughs> so, me too. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you figure out your law if you can have them. You figure out if you can get stung. And then you should probably figure out the history of beekeeping in your area. Right. That way you can find out the clubs, the organizations, local beekeepers. That way it's going to start helping you direct yourself to what clubs you want to join, what mentorships are available, what stores are local that sells beekeeping right. equipment. What other beekeepers are local in your area that are registered that can help you out to get maybe local bees? And this is all based on the history because everybody's learning from Walton from Virginia because we belong to the Virginia Association and he's been keeping bees for 80 years and his system works the best. How did you know? I found my history and this is who I found. And by God, this is the club we're working. It's usually working for everybody else. So I'm using Walt Whitman's Hmm. technique here in Virginia. I mean, so you find your history. Sure. Then you should sit down and you should get your definitions. So when you talk B to somebody and you're saying, well, I went to go remove this hive from this guy's property and I got to digging around and I couldn't find the queen. And you're like, I thought you were removing a hive. Well, yeah, I got in there and there's all these bees in this wall. Oh, I thought you were strapping and putting screen over a hive because you were picking it up and moving it from one right. location to another. That is called removing a hive. Yes. You were removing a colony of bees mm. out of a wall. Yeah. I had no idea you were talking about because you were saying imbecile. You know, <laughs> but I mean, you should learn some of the definitions. So when you're talking bees and they say, well, we're going to do an American foul brood treatment. You at least know what that is when you're at the club. What's that? Man? What's the treatment? Are we treating? Well, this is about the time of year that we treat for varroa mites. Some of us are using uh, olic acid. We're doing vaporization. Some of us are using teramyostrin and epistrin strips, which is a chemical base. You know, so now you, now you know what they're talking about. So you don't stand there going, well, do I want to use teramyosin or epistrin or am I using a natural uh, rhubarb medication? Well, I'll teach you all those, but you need to tell me what you want to do with it. Right, right. You, you so, saw my the look on my face. I was like, what is he talking about? I have no idea. I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah, so you, you should learn some definitions. And- right on. Those, those four things I just told you, right, laws, mm-hmm. bee sting, definition, history, that's just the first segment of getting into beekeeping. Right. And some some of you might have blown your minds like, man, I wouldn't have thought of my HOA. Or how's this guy putting bees on a five-story building and not having his apartment landlord and stuff? You know, that's the covert beekeeping. And <laughs> you know, he's not telling anybody. He's out there in a hibachi grill on his deck. 
People think he's grilling steaks. He's pulling out honeycomb. Right. I mean, so do you want to break the law? Do you want to know some other stuff? You want to put your bees in a storage shed where your HO manager never knows that you have them and everybody's gardens are lush and fully pollinated? Or do you want to bathe? I mean, there's all kinds of spectrums. I'm not saying to break the law, but I am one of those minarchists that says that, you know, if I want to have bees and I'm making them flight patterns where there no one's going to get them, I've got my bees in a location that's high in the air. So there's no foot traffic. Mm-hmm. I've got my bees where I'm doing swarm control and I belong to a mentorship where if I have any bees, I get rid of them immediately. So my populations aren't, how's anybody really ever going to know? Right. I know people that have bees in their backyard and as soon as they go to move, they, they're loading up bees and the guys in the bee suit and the neighbor goes, what the hell's that? Is that oh, our bees? You have bees? Yeah. We've had bees here for the last nine years, man. <laughs> you never know because they're in the back behind those trellises where the grapes grow and nobody ever sees them. Right. They don't ever really bother anybody and no one really cares because they're not an eyesore. So, right, right, right. You know, there's that's that's why you should learn learn different aspects of beekeeping. And, you know, uh, when I talk about storage shed beekeeping, it's not just putting bees in a storage shed. It's called Slovak beekeeping. And that's mm-hmm. they have big semi-truck trailers with the beehives inside and the little doors on the outside. The bees, they just pull the truck up, open up the doors and the bees fly out. Wow. They go inside and they open up the bees from the back like doors and they – work the, the the bees like like drawers huh so there is i mean there is a system that's really that cool shed thing that i'm telling you about it's not something i've come up with it's a system that i found that we can do covert you know covert beekeeping at your place and guerrilla warfare stuff at your house based on a technology from Slovenia, right that i sure sure so, i mean it's not that I'm, I'm i'm feeding you a lot of crap it's it's techniques that you can modify mm-hmm. and change and and use for better for the betterment of, of beekeeping and people around the world. Definitely, that's what I try to get to the kids. That's like I said, I went from need making to learning about you know being a big pollinating contractor to donating my hives to learning about every type of beekeeping there is to where I am now, where I'm getting back to the meeting. I've got I've got this program that you know, all you do is ask questions. I, I'm more than willing to answer questions, help anybody out. Super easy. Want to super help everybody out? That's my job. Mm-hmm. Or I'm an asshole, right? I, I was I'm an asshole for a long time collecting money from people. Now my job is to be, you know, the father of the fatherless, sure. the defender of the widow, right? The inspiration for men to want to be men. That's what we need to. That's where we need to be right now. Yeah. So sometimes I talk a little bit broad span, and I I might cuss, and I might say things that are a little outlandish, but I'm thinking on a level universally and not, not in my backyard anymore. Sure. I, yep. Like I take care of my own. I'm well suited in my city. In fact, I, I work with the mayor. I work with the university for my state TPB. Oh, yeah. I'm working with other people in other States. Now I've reached out globally to beekeepers around the world. Right. I think, you know, no matter what your field is, you start here, but you should always be working for global, mm. global help, global help, global help. If everybody's helping everybody, nobody needs. I mean, that's the system. That's true. That's great, man. And it, I have to tell you, I mean, I've I try to get into the um, to classrooms a couple times a year just to teach some gardening, basic gardening, to some of these kids, and to see their eyes light up and to to, to know that you could grow a plant in a cup or a boot or a toilet. I mean, you can if you're creative and you want to try it, give it a shot. You will probably win you know you'll probably learn something um as you go on that journey and it's 
beekeeping is a different level, but it's, uh, you know, there's freedom there. There's, um, you know, you can really get creative if, if you learn some basic principles first. Oh, totally. And, and it could go from anything from like, so we're, we're, we're talking about beekeeping because that's, this is my skilled trade now. I, if you, yeah. if you want to learn about wood gasification or how to turn chicken manure into fuel, I can teach you, but <laughs> I, I, I've stepped away from that quite a bit to try to get into, uh, like I said, we were talking, you, you know, you're talking about homes, small scale living. Yeah, man. I live, I live 12 blocks from the Wyoming state capital here in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I fight for everything to never happen around my area. I don't want my streets paved. Mm. Right. I don't worry about that stuff. I want to rototill in my street and have the water drain down my street and into my yard, ah. which I do. Right. So don't pave it. I'm getting free water from you guys from runoff. Sure. Right. It's not hurting anybody else because now the water isn't going down the street. It's going into my yard. True. Uh, I don't want sidewalks. I want to plant walkways and have stones and people walk through the apple trees and stuff. So I am the odd duck and I live right downtown. You know, I've got quail, I've got chickens, we raise turkeys. Uh, I've got a permit to keep 50 beehives in my backyard. Yeah. Turkeys uh, love you, by the way. What's that? <laughs> turkeys love you, by the way. Over at Hoptoberfest, the turkey, flock of turkeys following you. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of funny. I just say, come, my people. Oh, and they just follow me up. Where are you going with them? I don't know, man. They're just following me everywhere. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> but I think that has to do with anything, right? If you're yeah. kind and stuff like that, even even the dumbest animals know that you're good. Yeah, right? They sense yeah. that kind of thing. But, yeah, but, I mean, be different. Be, um, you know, experiment and do some cool stuff. And people will be attracted to that, you know, just like you're talking about with your yard and some of the things you're doing in your space, you know? As much as I can. I, I, you know, grapes, kiwi, strawberries. Uh, I've got, uh, oh, Drew, Drew has them there in Ohio. The pawpaws. Yeah. Yep. Apple trees from Greg Burns, uh, cherry trees, ginkgo beloga, pear trees, hops. I mean, I'm trying to grow, I mean, a little earlier, I'm trying to fill everything in. I'm trying to grow tea. Nice. Uh, by different, by different stuff. Yeah. So as much as we can in that area. So when it comes to, you know, your urban survivalism, it has to do with everything, you know, from food dehydration, yep, which I use for my business, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're dehydrating powdered honey. I'm dehydrating herbs from my house. I'm dehydrating all that stuff so I can add them to my needs. Oh, yeah. Right? So all those are function stacking. I'm not only dehydrating the herbs for storage for cooking. I'm dehydrating to help with my meat processing. I'm dehydrating them down to make tinctures and teas to feed my bees. Sure. You know, I mean, yourself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you, you try to use every space and try to use everything to its most maximum capability that you can. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, I think that's where I've changed now is that now that I've kind of got my beekeeping down and I can help a lot of people get, get into beekeeping and to see a vast variety the object now is to make a sustainable household to where people can come and take that back with them. Yeah. That, uh, we're hoping that in, in 2020, the metery will be on full scale. And in 225, it'll be under the revamp where it'll have a glass roof on it and the bees where you can walk around the bees cool. and stuff on it. And then we're hoping by, two, you know, 10 years after that, as our long-term goal is, we're going to be branching out in Colorado cool. and growing bigger with our cannabis needs that we've been coming up with for medication we'll use. Mm. 
not a doctor, but I have my, you know, we've been doing some clinical trial in, Col- in Colorado with PTSD. Sure. People with uh, Parkinson's disease seems to be really well. So we're looking to expand into, you know, medical for the metery. Uh, we're going to take the beekeeping into another further that we're looking to bring into where you can come in and take our year beekeeping course. We feed you, right? You stay, you take classroom education. You're going to learn how to work the bees through, for, through a season. We'll do four seasons. So you, so over a four-year time period, you'll be the whole season. Wow. We'll get you a journeyman license. We'll get you a mentor license and then a master beekeeping license. That's really cool. And we'll, we'll base it directly off the Montana State Beekeeping Board hmm. so you can get your university license if you want one. Wow. Right, based on our techniques here at AB Friendly County. So we're using this metery to educate uh, to use for co-op for spinning honey for other beekeepers if they don't have spinners, cool. uh, to ship and travel different types of honey around the world, to shipping different types of meads, and then using all the farm products to show that this area, this is what you use to feed the bees hmm. for uh, botanics and uh, some urban gardening. So we're, we're trying to grow on a whole different level of taking everything that we've learned over time, putting in one segment that will teach you everything there is, to feed yourself and to pollinate it and make products wow. that you can not only use for home, but if you want to sell them, it can help you supplement your income and you can use it to teach others to do the same skill, to save money at their house, to feed themselves, to make a home product. I mean, I, I, I venture on so much stuff. I get paid to take grain from a brewery. <laughs> I use that grain. I package it in mason jars and I boil it. In a pressure cooker, and I sell it as mushroom starters. Really? So I get paid to take the grain, huh. and then I turn that huh. grain into a sellable mushroom starter. Or I turn around and package it in five-gallon buckets and sell it as chicken and horse feed. Or I turn around and I use it as ground covering for my ground as a moisture absorber and a suppressor for weeds. Right? So I'm getting huh. paid for something huh. that I'm not only making money off of, I could turn around and if I wanted to, I could wash it and make a great pizza crust at home later. And I'm getting paid to take it. Right. So that's, you need to think completely out of the well. I'm not selling honey at the farmer's market. I sell it to a granola company that feeds Costco. Uh, You know, I'm not, I'm not, I I don't go test gas stations anymore or build them for the military. I test the C-130 airplane wings to make sure that they don't like fuel. Now I do one job a year. Right. The object is to do the job that you love, do it minimal so you can enjoy as much life as you want. Yes. The, yes. the all the stuff. I don't care about the tell I don't have a television at my house. I'm not, in fact we're talking I'm using the, the, the public school. Yes. Right, because it's public, it's free access. Right. I use the library. That's my computer. Right? I don't have a home computer. We don't Yeah, you said my that. My family are minimalist. Yeah, my kids sell chicken eggs. They sell quail eggs. They do. Uh, we go down to the to my ranch up in Glendo, Wyoming, and they cut uh, sage and they make smudge sticks. They wow. sell smudge sticks to when the tourists come through. Uh, they pump out honey to teachers, parents. I mean, they're they're not. I don't want them at home with fidget spinners. No, no, no. no, no. Right. I want I want my son out there wild crafting, picking wild onions. Picking watercress, picking some dandelion, picking some clover, pouring our natural honey over it, and saying this is a badass salad, Dad. Right, and then that was just yeah. all picked out. You know where he spent his day out looking at frogs and bark off the trees and 
seeing the deer as he's foraging and learning about it's better to be out here than it is to be downtown. And I'm not saying downtown's bad. Nope. I'm just saying my life skill and my life set that I want to teach my kids is that if you make enough money to pay, have someone to pay to change your tire, do it because you probably don't have time to change that tire because you're out making money. Right. That's the difference. Me, I got enough time to change my tire because I'm broke. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, those are some things to think about on, 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 a, on that level. All right. As you heard in this episode, there are a lot of ways to use our resources and skills to develop a small business. It takes some out-of-the-box thinking sometimes. A great example from this episode is Michael's use of spent grain from a brewery, and he used it in a number of different ways. The best part of this example was the brewery paid Michael to take the grain in the first place. Everything else he came up with for that spent grain is gravy. It all comes back to being more creative with our time, skills, and resources. We're all good at something. How are you going to use those three things, your time, your skills, and resources to achieve your dreams and live an intentional, sustainable, and self-sufficient small-scale life? Think about it. I know I am. Once you get that idea in mind, write it down. Picture where you want to be, what you want to be. Then start to work backwards. How can you achieve that dream and how long will it take you? How realistic is it? Write this all down. It will become your manifesto. Then start focusing and working on those items. Speaking of focusing and working on items, we're going into production mode here at Small Scale Life. So expect some more great interviews, articles, videos, and podcasts coming your way in the future. If you want to be on Small Scale Life Podcast, send me a message on the new Contact Us form on smallscalelife.com or send me an email at realsmallscalelife at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in to the Small Scale Life Podcast. This is Tom signing off. Remember, learn, do, and grow as you develop an intentional, sustainable, small-scale life. See you next time.